0: Greetings to listeners all around the world. Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing's podcast number 133 on September 14th of 2023. My name is Ian Duncan MacDonald. In today's podcast, I'll be answering three interesting investment questions. The objective of my books, my website, and my podcast's to show all those seeking financial independence how to become informed, confident, successful, self directed investors. <music> Question number one Does investing only in dividend stocks protect you from losses? As I've made it clear, and other podcasts, I am not impressed with financial advisors or stock analysts. While I may question their lack of knowing how businesses actually operate and their inability to easily identify a good investment from a bad investment, I get few opportunities to read how they analyze businesses. Thus... I was pleased to come across an article by an analyst who'd spent 25 years in the financial industry with 15 of those years managing mutual funds for a major bank. The article confirmed what I thought. The analysts are conditioned to believe that they must make the picking of stocks as complicated as possible. They overlook the obvious ways to judge a company. The company has one purpose. That is to make a profit. You control profits by making sure your revenues exceed your expenses. Thus, one easy step to take in making money in the stock market is to only invest in companies that pay High dividends. Why? Because dividends are paid out of profits. To further protect yourself, only invest in companies who have paid ever-increasing dividend payouts for 10 years or more. The dividends are divorced from the share price and even from the company's annual sales results. When sales drop, Good managers do all they can to bring sales up, but they can also ruthlessly cut expenses to maintain their profit margins. Dividends are paid out of those profits. In the analyst article, she talks about how the average investor doesn't have the time, skills, or inclination to consider such things as Revenue trends, profit margin, impacts of such things as rising fuel prices, inventory levels, cash, debt, reading annual, year-end financial reports, listening to the stock officers, yet identifying who their major customers and suppliers are, and so on. All this analysis becomes just smoke. If you stick to companies with long histories of paying high dividends, who have high operating margins and have book values close to the company's share price or even higher. To gather this information takes a few self-directed investors a few minutes, not days of research. These facts are easily accessible. Investors just need to be aware of this shortcut. Do not expect the investment industry to recommend this form of simple dividend analysis. In this article, the analyst admitted to buying shares in Luckin Coffee for her personal portfolio because this Chinese company was reporting selling massive Amounts of coffee in a market where coffee consumption was growing. An informed, strong dividend investor would never even consider Luckin' Coffee. They were only listed in November of 2019 on the stock market and never paid a dividend. Thus, when it was learned that Luckin' Coffee sales were fabricated and the stock fell from $50 to $1.39, this analyst was devastated and chastised herself for not doing any research. When research becomes a burden, it does not get done, obviously, even by trained financial analysts. Due to this loss, she now recommends that investors should only invest in a few ETFs because it's much easier and safer and you'll have hundreds of companies in your portfolio and a few turn out to be bad apples. That's okay. You've got a whole bunch of good ones too. This is the typical rationalization of financial advisors whose purpose is to sell mutual funds to naive investors. They have no real idea of what you are investing in and when they sell you a safe mutual fund. Watch out, mutual funds are not safe. Just because a mutual fund had a good track record last year does not mean it will have a good record this year. You can easily lose a significant percentage of your portfolio's value. Mutual funds are all about smoke and mirrors. A few strong, well-known stocks are promoted as being in the fund, while hundreds of weak stocks in the fund are ignored. In that fund are weak stocks. And if you were carefully choosing what you put into that fund, you would not add them to your portfolio. Hundreds of strong stocks do not exist. You must be very selective in which ones you invest in. The disadvantage of mutual funds is that whether that fund increases in value or not, you're going to be paying management fees every year that you own that fund. Most investors are not even aware of how much they are paying. As one financial advisor told me, it will be so little, you will not even notice it. Except that little amount can take 2% to 4% out of your portfolio every year. On a million dollar portfolio, You can easily be like one investor I know who is paying out $26,000 a year in a portfolio that lost $300,000 within a few years. You may reply that there are inexpensive ETFs that would not charge that much. Even if it were $1,000 a year, it would still be too much if the portfolio is losing money. The simple solution is to construct a portfolio of 20 financially strong stocks paying a dividend of 3.5% or more with long histories of paying ever-increasing dividend payouts, whose share prices recovered nicely after the 2008 and 2020 market crashes. You can then expect a safe dividend income of at least 6% of your portfolio's value every year, plus see your portfolio increasing most years by about 12%. If you go to my two latest books, Canadian High Dividend Investing or New York Stock Exchange's 106 Best High Dividend Stocks, It is not too difficult to pick out the best 20 stocks for a strong portfolio. Question number two. In view of Enbridge's recent billion-dollar acquisition, would you add Enbridge to your portfolio? Disclaimer. I have probably owned Enbridge for close to 10 years. I have no intention of selling it. It is traded on both the New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange. Although headquartered in Calgary, Alberta, it will have more customers using its natural gas to heat their houses in the USA than it now has in Canada. It now has 3 million customers in Canada and will be over 7 million with the acquisition. Enbridge has a long history of successfully acquiring and managing gas utilities over the last 175 years. The three U.S. gas utilities will gain operational efficiencies that will make Enbridge financially stronger and keep on increasing their dividend payouts as they have for the last 28 years. A gas utility has a monopoly in the market it serves. Winters may become less severe due to climate change, which could cut gas consumption. But, unlike most businesses, Enbridge only needs to increase its rates to maintain its profit levels. We have little choice but to pay the higher rates. Oil and electricity are significantly more expensive, and coal is no longer a viable option. A newspaper columnist wrote an article under the heading, Investors Should Look Beyond Enbridge's Enticing Dividend Yield. This headline is meant to appeal to the speculators who believe the only reason to invest in the stock market is to buy stocks at a lower price and sell them at what you believe is their highest price? Unfortunately, speculators usually get the timing wrong. They tend to buy stocks as they reach their peak and sell them at the bottom of the trough. Is the columnist suggesting that Enbridge? will never reach a new high? What would you do if it did not reach a new high? Are you supposed to then sell it and find a stronger stock to speculate on? You just keep doing this until you hit a real loser? The highest price I could see for the Enbridge stock was in April of 2015, when it was at $65.50, and paying a dividend of $0.47. Since then, it plunged all the way down to $37.05 on March 16th of 2020 during the market crash. But in May of that year, it still paid a dividend of $0.81. In May of 2022, it hit a high of $58.93, and was paying a dividend of $0.86. Cents. In August of 2023, the dividend was up to $0.89, cents, with the share price on September 11th at $45.86. Yes, the share price of Endridge goes up and it goes down. But his dividend payments just keep rising. If you bought Enbridge with the intention of never selling it, then you have been experiencing a constant dividend increase above the normal average inflation rate of 3.5%. There are only a handful of stocks in North America that have such consistency. To investors like me, who live off their dividend income, and bridges share prices just of passing interest. Whether it matches the S&P Composite Index is largely irrelevant. (music) Question number three. Are stock buybacks good or bad? Buybacks and executive stock option bonuses seemed to be joined at the hip. At year end, I would be given stock options for the following year. The stock price was then $20. I was given an option to buy 3,000 shares of the company stock at that price at the end of the following year. If a year from now, the share price was at $30, I would buy and sell my 3,000 shares and make $30,000 on the $10 gain from the old $20 a share price to the new $30 a share price. I could also have held on to the options with the hope the share price would go even higher. However, it is also possible for the share prices to go down. I'm not a speculator. I usually immediately bought and sold those stocks. Some people held on to the shares for decades, and they are now worth about $230 a share. Good for them. Did those stock options somehow or other cause me to handle my responsibilities any differently than if I were not receiving a stock option? No, they did not. What I was paid to do was make a profit for my operation. I spent company money to increase sales and reduced expenses wherever possible to make sure the profit objective was met. The sales and profit objectives are the only things that I could directly control. The executives of a company have almost zero control over share prices. The shareholders may believe that the stock options make the executives work harder and do a better job, but the reality is that executives are doing everything they can to reach objectives. They give little, if any, thought to share prices. So why does the board of directors approve of giving executives stock options. They want to believe that by owning shares in the company, the executives will work harder, be more loyal, and stay longer with the company. There's nothing wrong with them believing that. However, it can also create a monster. What happens when the stock option price of $20 is not met and the share price has shrunk to $18. The stock options are then worthless unless something is done to quickly push up the share price over $20 before the end of the year. Since the chief executive also has stock options, he is quite willing to play a little game of jack up the share price. The game requires the company to dip into its profits and start buying company stock at a price higher than the market price to manipulate investors into believing that there is a real demand for the stock. This hopefully causes the stock to increase. Shareholders are happy because their portfolio is now larger and the executives are happy because they have thousands of dollars in bonus money that they would not have otherwise had. What was done is a form of stock manipulation. From the mid-1930s until the mid-1970s, this was illegal. It turns the executives in a company and to greedy speculators. The purpose of a company is to make a profit. Public companies were created to spread the profits among those who invested in the company. They do this by paying dividends from the money that was left after the expenses for creating the wealth were deducted from the sales. If the executives take money from the profits to jack up the share price, this means there is less money that can be paid out in dividends to the shareholders. Some of those shareholders live off those dividends and depend upon the dividend increases in value to keep them ahead of inflation. The shareholders are not consulted about whether they wanted their company's money used to artificially increase share prices. If the executives were not able to reach their objectives, I'm sure most shareholders would see no reason to reward the executives. The board of directors that supposedly represents all shareholders approves using the money for the buyout. However, now you get into the question of who sits on the board? The board in many corporations is made up of carefully hand-picked directors who are willing to rubber stamp whatever the chief executive proposes. The unfortunate result of buybacks is that they become a habit. If the company is not being managed well, This should be reflected in the share price so that the board of directors can fire the executives responsible for the poor results. The water gets muddied when share prices are up despite lower sales and profits. The erroneous, superficial, dangerous assumption is made that the company must be doing well, If the situation worsens, the executives can abandon ship and move to another company and do the same thing there. They leave behind a problem for the newly hired executives to try to resolve that should have been addressed far earlier. Some proponents of buybacks suggest that companies only buy back their own shares when they cannot find any better investments to put their money into. Speaking as a former executive, there was never enough money allocated to cover all the new, strong possibilities to increase sales or make the company more efficient, competitive, and profitable. This lack of imagination of what to do with surplus funds just doesn't happen in the real world. Don't rob the shareholders to put unearned money in executives' pockets. That's all for this podcast. For more investment insights, go to my website www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com.